0: So 7.32, the vital things we take for granted without which we could not live, water, food, air, except the latter has been more under threat than ever this year. And while air pollution is a major health problem here in Korea, the UN Human Rights Council has published a report that points to it also as a threat to a fundamental human right. So as I said before, if you want to get in touch, Powdersharp 1013 for 51 per message. Let's bring in David, uh, Dr. David Boyd, the UN Special Rapporteur on Human Rights and the Environment, also an Associate Professor of Law, Policy and Sustainability at the University of British Columbia. And thank you for joining us.
1: Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you.
0: We, we should point out that you have just returned from Kenya, uh, which is a country where air pollution kills more than 20,000 people a year, but of course, it also was marred by um, that awful air crash in Ethiopia just beforehand. Did that um, have a major impact on the nature of the conference?
1: Well, it certainly cast a shadow over the conference. I mean, uh, t- there were 22 UN employees on that flight that crashed uh, so tragically last week, and so uh, the conference started off with a, with a moment of silence to, to honor their memories
0: naturally so but but using Kenya as the discussion on air pollution i mean th- this is sometimes how we twist things out of perspective we we hear about um certain disease outbreaks or air accidents or other horrendous causes of death and we take them very seriously but somehow when we hear about air pollution and tens of thousands and and in total millions of deaths a year we we sort of seem to get frustrated about it, but perhaps not panic in the way that we would if it was a virus or something along those lines. Why do you think that is?
1: Uh, I think it's actually just part of the hardwiring of the human brain that dates back probably tens of thousands of years that we're, you know, we're hardwired to worry about our family, our neighbors, our community. And we're just not intellectually equipped to deal with numbers like the fact that Air pollution kills 7 million people every year. That's a very abstract concept for most people. And that's, I think, one of the challenges we face in getting governments to make it more of a priority to solve this problem.
0: Do, do, you, do you think there's also an issue in terms of the, the cause of death being secondary to the air pollution itself, i.e. as a result of chronic exposure in many cases?
1: Yes, I do think that's a problem. But, you know, if we look at, for example, deaths from smoking, I mean, countries around the world have really cracked down on smoking in recent decades, even though nobody's death certificate says smoking is the cause of death, you know, right. lung cancer or some other horrendous disease. Same thing with air pollution. I mean, the science now and I think part of the part of the delay in dealing with air pollution has just been that the we we're, we're just starting to catch up with the science. I mean most people think of air pollution as a problem that Harms, harms their lungs. You breathe polluted air in, it harms your lungs. That makes sense to people. But in fact, what we've realized just in recent years is that air pollution also causes heart disease, stroke, lung cancer, and a whole variety of illnesses.
0: When we talk of 7 million lives a year then, from a, a range of causes, including cardiovascular disease then, d- who are most vulnerable? Are they people who are vulnerable already?
1: Uh, well, there's a combination of, of vulnerabilities. So certainly uh, when we talk about seven million premature deaths, we're talking about, ha- about half of those premature deaths are caused by exposure to outdoor air pollution, and about half of those deaths are caused by what we call household or indoor air pollution. And those, those premature deaths largely take place in low-income countries where people are using, uh, still using firewood or crop residues or even dried uh, animal manure to cook and to heat their homes. And so that's, that's, those people are vulnerable because of poverty. But there are solutions to those problems, which is just to, for governments to actually help those low-income families out with cleaner cook stoves and cleaner fuels. And here's where, the, here's where the story becomes a good news story rather than a bad news story. We know what the solutions are, and in countries like India and Indonesia, just in the last five five or so years. Governments have provided those types of clean fuels and clean cookstoves to over 100 million low-income households. So that's the, kind of, that's the kind of change we need to see in the world to prevent those easily preventable deaths. When we're talking about outdoor air pollution, again, it's people who are, um, people who are poor are most likely to live near sources of industrial air pollution. They're most likely to live near um, busy highways and roads, so traffic-related air pollution. And then, of course, people who do have pre-existing illnesses are also more vulnerable to air
0: pollution. For us, though, in Seoul, it is becoming, and and in other places in Korea as well, it's becoming an all-too-common situation that in the winter and in the springtime particularly, but at random moments through the year, we see air pollution levels shoot up. And it's not just one area next to a busy road, it's the entire area. And there's no escape except by... Surrounding yourself with air purifiers and covering your mouth with a with a mask. So in that situation if we're going to view Clean air as a human right. What's the appropriate response?
1: Well, and so that's what I put in in quite comprehensive detail in my report to the Human Rights Council is that everyone does have Everyone has the right to live in a healthy environment and there's a certain uh, number of things that are essential elements of the right to a healthy environment clean air and clean water being two of the most critical. And so where where we as individuals have a human right, then governments and businesses have obligations. And so in the case of air pollution, governments have an obligation to take what I describe as seven critical steps to address this problem and respect our right to breathe clean air. Um, and I can run through those steps for you if you want. Yeah,
0: but I think we have time to briefly summarize.
1: Yeah, so basically the seven steps are to monitor air quality, which, uh, which is done in Korea, uh, to assess the sources of air quality. And that's a really critical step, because if we don't know where the pollution is coming from, how are we going to stop it? Third is to engage the public by providing information on air quality, on the sources of air pollution, and, um, and engage the public in developing solutions. Fourth is The fourth step is probably the most critical, which is to develop laws, regulations, and standards that will protect everyone's right to breathe clean air. Fifth is to have a national air quality action plan that outlines the timelines and the steps that the government will take. Sixth is to provide adequate resources to implement the plan. And seventh is to monitor and evaluate, make sure the plan's working. And if it's not, then to, uh, to go back and uh, add additional stronger steps to make to make the plan work.
0: Well, it sounds like an excellent plan of action to me. The, the problem is, even at the second hurdle there, it seems so unclear What are the sources? Sometimes they're domestic, sometimes they're coming from China. There was even the recent claim that they come from North Korea at times. A lot of it depends on the weather and geography, of course. But within even the domestic question, there's a whole range of sources there. makes it quite complex from a government's point of view to, to, to sort of take that on
1: no frankly it's not that complicated i mean if you get independent academic researchers at a university they can uh, they can crunch the numbers they can use satellite data they can come up with uh, a comprehensive analysis of where the pollution is coming from so for example i've seen exactly that kind of analysis for, for the country of china for the country of india saying in very clear order here are the top five the top ten sources of air pollution in the entire country and that's what those governments need to target. Something like that is a critical step and should be done, uh, you know, at, on an urgent basis, I would say, for Korea.
0: Well, many people will like hearing you saying that, even if the implications are tough, because we are constantly told how vague this is. Uh, but but we've had studies in the past. Years ago on this show, we interviewed um, an expert affiliated with NASA who was involved in the study above the ground of of sources of pollutants here and and of course it does vary over time but he he did give us some clear answers and then when this latest administration took office they they said they were going to tackle air pollution but then we waited until the worst of the days this spring or late winter to to really talk about it again is this the kind of inaction that you come up against regularly in your line of work this idea that once clean air comes around that people let these issues drop
1: yes and and governments around the world are notorious for not tackling air pollution with the degree of urgency that this problem requires i mean Seven million deaths a year, that's more than the combined total of deaths from war, murder, tuberculosis, HIV, AIDS, and malaria combined. I mean, this is a global public health crisis, and it's certainly a crisis in Korea where you're experiencing this kind of uh, horrific levels of air pollution. So, you know, the sources, there's no need to have a, 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 we don't need a 10-year study to figure out the sources. We know what the primary sources are. They're, you know, pollution from uh, coal-fired electricity generation plants pollution from major industrial sources, traffic-related air pollution, and all of those are within the government of Korea's ability to address on a very rapid and expeditious basis.
0: Especially as we had record coal imports two years in a row, 2017 and 2018, to this country, and that coal's being burned somewhere, and we're building more coal power plants, not reducing them. How concerned are you about those basic facts?
1: uh... deeply concerned and one of the one of the clear crystal clear recommendations in my report is that all high-income countries in the world should close down all coal-fired power plants by the year twenty thirty so obviously if we're closing down all coal-fired plants by the year twenty thirty there it makes no economic sense to build new ones and in fact you know where i live canada in the united kingdom in dozens of countries have made exactly that commitment to phase out all coal-fired electricity generation by the year 2030 that's absolutely essential for protecting air quality and it's also equally essential for addressing the global problem of climate change so it's really a kind of a we get a we get a double dividend by closing down these coal-fired power plants
0: even if we did shut down all our coal plants though given the millions of cars that are in action on a daily basis in seoul with very little to dissuade them from doing so Is it something that we also need to take much more seriously on the traffic front?
1: Absolutely, yeah, so uh, governments need to put in place stronger air quality standards for or or stronger emission standards for motor vehicles. Uh, Governments need to stop subsidizing diesel fuel, which I'm not sure if that's the case in Korea, but in Canada taxes are lower on diesel fuel despite the fact that it causes more air pollution than regular gasoline. Right. And societies need to make a concerted effort at all levels to change the way that we run our cities i mean for a, the problem is for the last hundred and twenty years we've built cities around cars we need to build cities around people which means denser cities um, better opportunities safe safe opportunities for cycling and walking and, uh... state-of-the-art public transit systems those are some of the best investments that governments can possibly
0: make the, uh, the diesel situation here, they, they are targeting mainly older diesel vehicles. Uh, and diesel fuel, sadly, still is uh, often seen as a cheaper alternative. Uh, just to briefly clarify there, 0996 has texted in saying, when profit is the most important goal, we have no hope. And this is where Professor Boyd, governments do have to step in above the, the, the profit motive, clearly. I'd like to finish, though, by asking about transnational issues. I mean, even if we did clean up all those sources, we'd still have on bad weather moments, pollution coming in from China. Is there anything you can do to deal with another country's pollution sources?
1: Uh, yes, in fact, there, there's a really great example of what can be done, and it's called the Convention on the Long-Range Transportation of Air Pollutants. And it's a convention that was negotiated over 30 years ago now uh, by countries within the European and, uh West, West, I guess, West Asian region. So there's now countries from three different continents are parties to this international convention. And it's, a, it's an international treaty by which countries agree to collectively work to reduce air pollution in their region, based on the understanding, as you've mentioned, that air pollution doesn't respect national boundaries. So that, that international treaty, that convention, has been a, a shining example of successful international cooperation the, um, the 50, approximately fifty countries that have ratified it and they have collectively reduced their emissions of different pollutants from forty to seventy percent since that treaty came into effect and i think that one of the things that i recommended in my report to the u n human rights council is that other regions of the world emulate the success of that agreement and begin negotiations to come up with uh, regional treaties on air pollution, for example, in Southeast Asia.
0: Professor Boyd, I wish this interview could be played to every government official in this country and perhaps a few other countries as well. It's great to hear your voice at a a difficult moment for us uh, with our own air pollution.
1: Thank you very much, and I do genuinely wish you the best of luck in coming to terms with this. It is a preventable problem, and governments... The last thing I'll say is that every study I've ever read shows that there are huge economic benefits to be uh, enjoyed from providing cleaner air to the citizens of a country.
0: Well, there's the answer to the profit motive question we had before, or the point we had. Professor David Boyd, UN Special Rapporteur there. Powder Sharp fifty one per message if you want to get involved. Let's get to our News bite with Xinyana.